Maybe it's the vestiges of my childhood Catholic guilt. But when I read today's Gospel passage from John, I can't help but take Jesus' rebuke of Thomas a bit personally. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. What would I have done if I were in Thomas's shoes? Would I have believed this fantastical story about my friend and teacher rising from the dead? Moreover, there are times even now in my life when I have doubt. I know that might be surprising to hear from someone preparing for ordination, but it's true. Sometimes God seems far away, distant. Sometimes I look around and ask, how could a loving God allow this or that to happen? Maybe some of you can relate. I suspect so because there's good reason to believe that doubt is part and parcel of our Christian experience. A 2017 study by the research firm Vanna found that over two-thirds of Christians experience doubt. And we're in good company. Scripture is filled with people who doubt. Recall the story of Peter from Luke's Gospel when he tries to walk on water. Or rather, from Matthew's Gospel. Jesus comes walking toward the disciples on the water. They're in a boat. Peter is startled at first and responds by saying, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus bids Peter come. However, as soon as the wind picks up a bit, Peter's faith falters and he begins to sink. Or recall the story of Abraham and Sarah from the book of Genesis. God tells them that Sarah, despite her advanced years, will conceive. Their first response, doubt. John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, had a similar response. When the angel Gabriel, the angel Gabriel appeared to him and announced that his aged wife, Elizabeth, would conceive, what does he say? How can this be so? Given all these examples, I was inspired to rethink my understanding of Jesus' words to Thomas. If doubt is such an integral part of the human Christian experience, were Jesus' words really words of rebuke to Thomas? Although he wasn't present to hear it, Jesus is fully aware of Thomas's emphatic stance. He will not believe this crazy story unless he can put his finger in the wounds 
of Jesus' hands and feet and side. Now, how does Jesus respond to this? More important than his words are Jesus' actions. He gives Thomas exactly what he needs. He offers Thomas the opportunity to touch his wounds. And it works. Thomas exclaims in a rush of emotion, My Lord, my God! And if you think about it, Jesus did this for the other disciples too. Early on in today's Gospel, they got to see Jesus' hands and feet and side. Recall that in the resurrection story from Luke, Mary and the women come back from the tomb to announce to the disciples that Jesus is risen. He's no longer in the tomb. The tomb is empty. How do the disciples respond? With unbelief. Peter runs to the tomb because he doesn't believe what the gospeler calls the women's idle tale. He only believes when he sees the wrappings lying empty in the tomb. Peter needed a visible sign, a tangible sign, to help his belief. I've come to see Jesus' words to Thomas differently. Rather than seeing them as harsh and critical, I think they're filled with empathy. Jesus understands our human condition. He knows that at times our faith needs a little help. He knows that doubting is natural. Remember, he is the one who cried from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what doubt is. And I know from my personal experience that God invariably gives me what I need in those dark times of doubt. What I need and when I need it. It might not be a face-to-face -face encounter with his risen body, but I'm given tangible signs nonetheless. Sometimes it's a simple feeling of comfort and renewed hope. Sometimes it's awakening to the joys of the created world, the beauty of a sunset or the majesty of a summer storm. Maybe it's the wonder of looking into the face of a newborn baby and marveling at the unfathomable miracle of new life. Sometimes it's witnessing an act of kindness or selfless service by another. Often it's the love of my family and friends. <laughs> and often it's witnessing the profound faith in action of this beautiful community. Regardless of what it is, it always seems to come at the right time. It's as if God knows, just as Jesus knew with Thomas, what I need and when I need it. And another thing I've come to realize is that God's love and God's faithfulness 
are so much bigger than either my belief or doubt. No matter how long we persist in doubt, God is always there, eternally patient, ever-loving, ready to welcome us back. And this, our Paschal candle, is a powerful symbol for me of that. Those of you who were here for the great vigil last Saturday will recall that we gathered in a dark church. The last time we had gathered as a community was on Good Friday, when we recalled Jesus' death and burial. We left the church in silence. We came back to a dark and silent sanctuary the following night. Then, as the liturgy began, a small fire was lit in the back of the church and blessed by Father Noah. And from that fire, we lit our Paschal candle. As the candle was carried up the center aisle, we intoned three times, the light of Christ, thanks be to God. And as we did so, the light of the candle was passed to everyone in the congregation, each of whom had their own candle. By the time the candle made it to its place here by the pulpit, the church was ablaze with new light. We eventually extinguished our own candles, but this one continued to burn. And this one will continue to burn every time we gather, from now until Pentecost, reminding us that Christ's light is eternal and can never be extinguished. Even in our darkest moments, the light of Christ continues to burn. And it has the power to cast away darkness. It's right there waiting for us. All we need to do is open our eyes.